Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Hello from me, Malik Banat, the Visegrad Insight podcast editor of the leading platform on Central European affairs and, of course, we can't forget Central Europe relationship with the United States, the transatlantic security relations in particular. I'm referring directly to the 2023 US midterm elections this week. And today I'm joined by my American colleague, Visegrad Insight's editorial director, Miles Maftian wrote a fascinating piece explaining why these elections might signal a potential shift to isolationism for the United States. To read in more details about the rise of the pro-Trump contingency and why aid to Ukraine is in danger, highly recommend to check out our website and read the article. Miles, it's great to have you and I'll start right away with the sort of hot take of your piece. Um, let's pretend for a second that um, one is unaware of what's going on in uh, in America's domestic politics, given all the developments. It's not such a crazy thing to say that our attention has been uh, elsewhere, more in our backyard. But uh, surely Republicans uh, who have been conservative war hawks historically obviously support Ukraine. And We have seen this most recently through reassurances by the Republican Senator Mitch McConnell. And even you in your piece point out that military aid will be delivered one way or another, whether it's through a compromise between McConnell and the minority House of Representatives leader McCarthy, who recently became uh, notorious for saying that aid to Ukraine might be restricted in case of a Republican victory in the election ballot. But nonetheless, you point out that whether it's through a lame duck bill later this year or through this compromise, uh, Ukrainian aid should not be military aid, specifically should not be hindered. Um, Therefore, it seems like there should be little reason for apprehension if this outburst is limited to a small number of populist voices in the GOP, unless, of course, you see the potential for a broader shift in the Republican constituency towards the far right. Is is that what we're seeing? Thanks for having me, Malik. It's it's really great that you're talking about this issue because, you know, I think that it's one that has a real potential shift that doesn't affect just Ukraine, but Europe more generally. So the main takeaway I had in my piece is that funding to Ukraine won't stop if Republicans win. Let's not be too hasty here to, to say this, but the real issue that I had is that there would be this broader shift to isolationism that will occur in U.S. foreign policy. And, you know, after the first few days, I, I did get some feedback, particularly from some Republicans in the U.S. Essentially, what they were saying is, is that I'm kind of underestimating the support that Ukraine has within the, the Republican Party. And there's only really like a small minority of the Trump supporters within the GOP that actually support decreasing um, uh, aid for Ukraine. Even if there is a sort of GOP tidal wave that comes um, early next week, it may increase these voices, but not as much as the increase in, in numbers of typical GOP members of Congress who are actually opposed to isolationism, right? I think that's a fair point, but I think what it does is it drastically underestimates the role that the pro-MAGA camp has to actually shift the Overton window. There's been a lot of talk about the Overton window. And I mean, if you look at the sort of media coverage that Trump had during his years in office, you had news networks that were literally grappling with conspiracy theories. There were right-wing trolls, dishonest government spokespeople. These were 
just regular fixtures of our national political debates. And I think that this is completely continued. And the Trump presidency, uh, along with sort of the current pro-MAGA camp, there's been this constant move of the Overton window in ways that continue to actually warp our politics. And, and it sort of makes both the left and right wing politicians seem seem normal to the regular American voter. So I'm not just saying this as a whim. Uh, the data is actually showing it. And the, I can tell you specifically when it comes to the case of funding for Ukraine in, in the Republican con constituency. So the majority of Americans actually support continuing aid to, to Ukraine, but it's essentially becoming more of a partisan issue. Where the opposition is growing is in the Republican uh, constituencies. There was just this poll in the Wall Street Journal that came out last week, and it said that 30% of respondents believe that the administration is doing way too much to help Ukraine. 30%. Now, this back in March, that same constituency only said 6%. So there was a massive shift, right? A 24% uh, increase there. So why? And the reason there is the GOP voters, almost half now say that the U.S. is doing too much for, for Ukraine. And this is up from 6% um, uh, that we saw in March. This is a massive shift. It, it's incredibly difficult for us to, to really know, is it that the American voters have had this shift? Is it the narratives that are coming from the pro-MAGA camp influencing the GOP voters? Is this just a matter of the elections that are happening now? It's, it, it's a chicken and egg problem. I can't know the exact answer here, but it shows that there, there is this broader shift. And I'm sure that Republicans will capitalize on this for domestic political gains. Okay, and they are on track to win over both branches of Congress. That is looking increasingly like um, the reality we will be faced with. Um, so let's talk more about aid to Ukraine, but this time um, more so the long-term economic aid that's been a particular concern voiced by the Zelensky administration. Um, Zelensky himself uh, told his audience in Washington that it's not just about guns, can we expect a return to sequestering on the federal level that curtailed spending during Obama's presidency? Do you see an even greater return to deadlocks and partisan blame games, especially in the run-up, we cannot forget the presidential election 2024? And this would be particularly worrying given the pressing need for financial relief for a country that has lost 35% of its economy, estimated, and continues to be barraged by strikes on critical infrastructure. Well, there are basically two things that can happen here when it comes to funding to Ukraine. Let's talk about this first. So there can essentially be what, what pundits call a sort of lame duck bill. So this means that Congress already votes prior to the new change in government, that is coming in, in January on funding Ukraine. So it's actually not up for debate when the new Republicans come into office next year. This is a move that could actually be made, and it's dependent on how many Republicans actually do come into office. The second would be to actually have a, a Republican compromise between Kevin McCarthy. So Kevin McCarthy would be the new Speaker of the House if the GOP were to win. And this is the one who said that there's going to be no blank checks sent to Ukraine anymore. So it's to have a compromise between uh, McCarthy and Mitch McConnell, who, as you earlier stated, was for aiding Ukraine. 
And whichever does occur, this is this is for sure. Long term and short term economic aid to Ukraine is certainly going to be questioned during a Republican majority run Congress. It, it, it's inevitable. I think Republicans coming into office, there will be a huge uh, shift in terms of spending. I think many were completely against the the help that Biden was giving those who had loans, uh, student loans, when it came to the actual amount of money poured into the, the post-COVID-19 uh, recovery plan, and now, of course, Ukraine. So I think what's going to happen is, is that Republicans are going to continuously say that, look, in the U.S., we have a lot more important things that have been happening that we definitely need to take care of first. We have the, the U.S.-Mexico border. We have an uptick in crime. Inflation is crazy. Um, even some are pointing to, to the drug epidemic, you know, with uh, fentanyl over, overdoses. You name it. I think there's going to be more of this shift towards putting America first again, right? Uh, so this aspect that we need to take care of our people in our country more, and we can do so by actually making sure that the money that is sent to Ukraine, if there is any sent to Ukraine, um, will be really earmarked and checked really specifically. And I think that's fine, you know? And I, I, this doesn't mean that Ukraine won't get any funding. I think it's just going to signal the shift to Ukraine that you can't rely so heavily on the U.S. in the way that it has, and that it either has to take this into account for, for their short and long-term plans, or they have to essentially seek another strategic partner, you know, one particularly in the EU. I'm glad you mentioned the EU because uh, my next question was going to be about strategic autonomy. Of course, we cannot end the, this podcast without, without mentioning it. Um, you clearly in your piece state that the emergence of isolationism as a viable political alternative for Washington will not happen overnight. And uh, we understand this. Um, but still, does the current state of affairs in the CE tell us that the region is taking this into account, this possible shift? Or are we again turning a blind eye? Or are we continuing to once again sleepwalk into unrealistic expectations for the U.S.? So I think it's it's a very interesting story where we find ourselves. I think many countries in the CEE, when you, when you think of Poland and, and Hungary, for instance, they found themselves in a really uncomfortable position of sort of wishing to remain in, in alliance with the U.S., um, led by a president who does not really share their rather conservative values. So you think of uh, you think of when Biden actually came to power versus. Uh, the close relationship that Trump had with um, Viktor Orban. And I think when Biden came came into office, there was this worry as to how he would actually approach CEE. The ideological differences did matter, and there was kind of a, a sort of cooling period between, well, certainly between D.C. and Budapest. And I saw it a little bit different for Poland, particularly when Russia invaded Ukraine. I think right now the relationship DC has with Ukraine is actually pretty great. Um, but what happens if Republicans come into office? A Republican president comes, and if there's this move to isolationism, where does that put CEE? I, I really wouldn't want to be in that position if I were a leader from the CEE region, and I think that this has to be sort of taken into account. And it's a question of what level um, you're going to take this into account. I, I, the U.S. will not obviously leave NATO. 
Um, there's not going to be anything uh, along those, but uh, along this point. But it's clear that the top foreign policy point, particularly if Republicans do reclaim the presidency, is going to be the shift to Asia, stopping China. I mean, this is without question uh, the sort of foreign policy shift that um, that will occur if Republicans come into office. And the pro-mega camp is completely on board with this as well. So Europe, I think in this case, has essentially two ways to sort of act strategically here. I mean, first, it, it has to, and I pointed this out in the piece, it has to increase its defense commitments and continue to declare its support for, for Ukraine. And this already we see sort of breaks in this, right? Um, we've seen breaks in, in the actual European alliance there um, uh, with, let's say, for instance, Greece. Uh, or Italy. But I think it's also imperative for for any U.S. president, right or left, to kind of have a, a really stable European security architecture so that it actually is allowed to focus more on China. So I think part of the picture here is, is that Ukraine does matter um, just for the sake of the actual stability. And the issue there is who precisely will bring that voice. And I think CEE could be the one to, to bring that voice to kind of support Ukraine and to make sure that other countries are essentially fulfilling their defense commitments. But I think coupled with this, the, the second part is, is that, and this will be a bit more, more difficult, but CEE should actually aim to integrate closer with, with the EU. And of course, this is a difficult task because it means actually reforming uh, their, the judicial system in, in Poland and Hungary, for instance, and complying with the, the European community's guidelines. And, you know, even if they, even if both countries did do this, this doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the, the alliance is uh, stronger than ever. You know, if the U.S. were not focused on the CEE region, just think the only major ally there would be the EU, Right. Uh, and of course, looking towards the Baltic, Sweden and Finland, it actually would make sense for Poland to kind of be closer to these countries and to sort of form a, a semi-alliance based on shared defense commitments there or shared practices. But I think overall, the need for Europe to become united will, will be very much needed. I'm just afraid that I have an incredibly pessimistic viewpoint there if that were the case and if the U.S. were to continue down the isolationist path.